Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, A.J. Hogue, where A.J.'s more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's A.J. with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm A.J. Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native. I train you, I teach you to speak English fluently, speak English powerfully, speak English confidently, speak English effortlessly. When you join my VIP program, you commit and don't quit at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Go there and commit. All right, we're a day late on our uh, book club. I have a baby who's sick, unfortunately. We had to take our baby to the hospital one of our babies to the hospital yesterday and she's still quite sick so oh <clears throat> I had no sleep last night so I'm kind of tired it's also I think I'm getting a little sick <laughs> so I'm fasting now I'm doing a dry fast to deal with that um, so anyway my apologies for being late and I'll probably be a little bit more relaxed and mellow lower energy today uh, let's see, another announcement. What, oh, last night. I was up all night. No sleep last night, but I uh, watched Jerry Maguire again, and uh, I was reminded, watching Jerry Maguire, how much I really, 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 really like that movie. One of my all-time favorite movies. It's just such a sweet, sincere movie. I think it's a wonderful follow-up after we, you know, two and after doing Brave New World and even The Matrix, I think doing German Guire, it's a great idea. I'm happy we're doing this movie next because it is, it is sort of the opposite of those movies. Those movies are very red-pilled, of course, right? Hard, 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 harsh truths. And uh, all of those things are good. And The Matrix was a cool action movie, too. But uh, Jerry Maguire is sort of really on the other side of that. You know, if we want to talk yin and yang, Jerry Maguire is, is a, just a very sweet, sincere movie. You know, it's about love and loyalty and virtue and, you know, kind of the positive side, the, all the good things that are against Brave New World. And indeed, it is about a man who is in Brave New World. He's in the middle of it. And it's Tom Cruise's character, and he's in the middle of it, and in the and he right near the beginning of the movie, he kind of wakes up. He re, he just realized, wow, something's wrong. Something's wrong with with my life, and he kind of sees, you know, everything's so ugly and all the greed and all this stuff, and he has this big change. And the rest of the movie is then, you know, him making this, these huge changes to his life as he moves away from that. And uh, and this is what makes the movie so positive and wonderful because he becomes such a, a good person. And he, he focuses on virtue and he focuses on love and he focuses on loyalty and, you know, family, friendship. It's really wonderful. It's such a wonderful movie. So it's going to be great to do it because it's a very, very, very positive movie. Okay, well, let's just jump into money now. Speaking of money, show me the money. And we, of course, we get that show me the money line, which is very funny. It's also kind of funny. There's some funny scenes in the movie. So anyway, we'll enjoy that. But right now, let's do our book club. So on we go. Chapter one we are doing. The book is Your Money or Your Life. Okay, so chapter one is called The Money Trap. The old roadmap for money. And really, this chapter is describing the problem. It's a common thing in nonfiction, self help books, to start by describing the problem, right? The pain, the problem that people having. And, you know, this, this first chapter goes in a lot of detail, into a lot of detail about the financial situation of probably most people. Now, this book is written by Americans, and their examples are American. However, I think that you'll find that this situation you can find in many, many, many parts of the world, probably every country in the world. And, you know, overall, they, they kind of, they mention the title, Your Money or Your Life. And they say, you know, if you imagine a situation, someone has a gun and they 
point the gun at you. They're going to shoot you, going to kill you. And they say, your money or your life. It means, give me your money or I kill you or give me your life. And, you know, they say in this first paragraph, of course, everybody would say, here's my money, right? Nobody would die for their wallet. Most people would not. But then they say, but the problem is that, so that's a dramatic situation, someone with a gun. But if we actually look at people in their normal everyday life, that in fact, many, maybe most people are giving away their life little by little. They're living unhappy lives for money. They're doing it because of money, to earn money. And with the goal, with the priority of making money, they neglect their health, they neglect their family, they neglect their enjoyment and happiness in life, they neglect their energy, they neglect everything. And then we get a couple examples. They have a couple examples of actual people. They don't use, they use their partial names. There's a woman named Penny and they give these quotes. So these are from real people that they used to have a class. They would teach a class. So people came to the class. So these are stories from their class, students that they helped to become financially free. And this woman, Penny said, my feeling, I had the feeling that something was missing. Something was missing from my life. I was working 70 hours a week. I was a very successful saleswoman, so making a lot of money. This woman, she was making a lot of money, but working, working, working like crazy. And then she realized, I had this feeling something's missing. Something's missing from my life. I have all this money. I have this success, but I, don't, I still don't feel happy. And she said, I talked to other people. They all felt the same way, most of them. And there's another guy named Carl. He liked music, but he got a job doing some kind of computer stuff. And he said that, you know, he just, he went, he got a job doing computer stuff, which he didn't like. Then he got a, then he got married, got a, bought a house, a car, you know, a, a big loans for all this stuff. And he said he felt trapped. He didn't feel like a man anymore, right? Like he thought, oh, this is what you do if you're a man. But he actually felt less like a man. He felt trapped. This is a common situation. A lot of people do this where they get trapped by, they, they get a job they don't like, but it pays fairly well. Then they buy, you know, a house and get a loan for the house. And then they're stuck. They feel trapped. They feel stuck in the job because now they, they've got to pay for the house. They got to pay for the car. They, they have the family. The family expects to live in these big house and the big car. And they feel trapped. It's terrible. And there's a woman, Diane. She said she hated her job as a computer programmer. And it was because she's bored. She was bored. She could barely balance the boredom of her job. So she tried to do other stuff outside of work. She bought nice cars, fast cars. She bought a second house in the countryside. She tried to travel on during her vacation time. But the truth is, she just felt bored and she felt like her job was biting the center out of her life, meaning she felt her job was taking every, you know, it was at the center of her life, that her job was the main thing, taking up most of her time and energy. A lot of people feel that way. Okay, so after giving us these problems, these stories, they give us the good news. There is another way. There is another way. You don't have to be trapped. You don't have to be bored. You don't have to be a slave to money. And they ask the question, you know, they think about it like, you know, most people, they go to work and they're trying to make a living. But really, at the end of the day, after working and on the weekends, they feel less alive. They feel less alive after working because the job is sucking their life, sucking their energy, sucking their happiness. But they say, it is possible to make a living so you end up being more alive, feeling more alive. To make a living, this is a common phrase in English, to make a living, it means to, you know, to make money, make money to pay for your life. 
So you want to make a living in a way that makes you feel more alive, not less alive. More happy, not less happy. More energetic, not less energetic. More meaningful, not less. All of these things. This is the goal of the book. And then they make the point that what you, what they, what most of these people that were not free, and maybe you, what they do for money dominates their waking hours. So it dominates the time they're awake. It dominates their life, their jobs, their work, the time. And their life, all the other things of their life that they really love and enjoy, it's just the extra time outside of work. But work takes so much time. And they give the, you know, they give the example of someone working in a city at an office job. And, you know, the alarm, they have to wake up maybe 6.45 in the morning. So they've got to wake up early and shower and get in, dress up and then drive to their job, maybe 30 minutes or maybe a train, maybe 45 minutes. Some people, it's an hour to go to work in rush hour. And then, of course, they work, 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 work. And then they come home, same thing. They have to come home driving or train or whatever, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour more for some people and then they're tired they're exhausted so they just sit around sit in front of the tv they're too tired to do anything else and on the weekends they kind of feel lazy because they're tired from working and then they ask the question aren't we this is called a rhetorical question They already know the answer. Aren't we killing ourselves, our health, our relationships, our sense of joy, happiness, and wonder for our job? So saying that aren't these people, aren't so many people, so many people are killing themselves because of their jobs. The jobs are slowly, little by little, killing them, killing their spirit, right? Killing their happiness, And so here's the goal, the goal of the book. Do work that we love with no limitations, no fear of getting fired, no fear of being unemployed. That's what financial freedom means. That's what financial independence means. That's what the goal of this book is, to help you do work that you love, do work that you love, with no limitations, right? Nobody controlling you. And you have no fear of being fired. You have no fear of being fired. You have no fear of being unemployed. All right, they continue with, you know, describing the problem. They say, now they're talking more about society, not just you and me, but but all, all of us. Jobs have replaced family, neighborhood, civic affairs, church, and even mates, meaning I guess they're American, so they probably mean uh, husbands and wives, as our primary allegiance. So our jobs have replaced family, neighborhood, civic affairs, church, and even our mates, our husbands and wives, as our primary allegiance means loyalty or identity. So saying that so many people now The job is number one. They put the job above their family, above their neighborhood, above their society, their community, above their church, and even above their husband or wife and children. And yeah, of course, some people do that. Okay, then they give another, some psychotherapist did a study and said that 60% of people are depressed about their job. I don't know if that's true, but sounds good. All right, now, next section. Now they move on. So that's kind of the emotional part of it, right? The emotional part where people are really unhappy uh, because of work and money, being slaves to money. Next, they talk about debt. So there's the jobs. Next is debt. This is the second way that money uh, controls people and stresses people and makes you unhappy and makes you a prisoner, makes you trapped. Debt means you owe money. Debt, D-E-B-T. 
But the D, the B is silent. B-b-b-b. Don't say debit. <laughs> it's debt. All right, debt is one of our main shackles. A shackle is like a chain. Our levels of debt and our lack of savings make the nine to five routine mandatory. This is a good point. So why are you a slave to work? Why do you have to work 40 hours a week? Well, many people, because they have debt, because they owe money. They have to work eight hours a day or more to pay their loans, their house loan, their car loan, and maybe student loans or other things. But house and car are usually the big ones. And then, you know, they and they say, why do we get in debt? Because we spend more than we make and we get, we buy more than we need. That forces us to go back to work to get more money, to get more stuff than we need, right? So it's this cycle. We get, we're spending more money than we have. We're buying things we don't really need. This puts... Then we have this pressure. We have to make more money to pay for everything. We make more money. What do we do? We spend too much. We buy things we don't need. Now we need to make more money again. And it's a cycle that's endless. But they say it is clear. We, most people are understanding now that there's a, there's a certain minimum you need for comfort. We know that. But more than that does not buy you happiness. Then making more will not make you happier. And that we know, and you can see it, I'll put it on the screen, you can see it in red on this, if you're watching on video. Down here at the bottom it says, we know that people can be unhappy no matter how much money they make. We have talked about this many times. No matter how much money we make, you make, anyone makes, it's possible to be unhappy, right? We know there are very rich people who are super unhappy. And of course, there are poor people who are unhappy too. And then here's the question. Now this is where they start getting a little practical. We'll see in the, later in the book, it will be, we'll get, they'll give us a lot of details about how to be free. But here's a very important question. The first important question. How much money would it take to make you happy? How much do you really need? Well, they asked, they did like a study, some another study they asked people. And get, you know what, the, guess the result. They said the result was always more than I have now. <laughs> By 50 to 100%. So in other words... They went and they started at, they asked all these people, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of people. They asked them, how much money do you need to be happy? And what the answer was always more, like 50% more or 100% more, like double the money they have now. But what's interesting about that is that they ask people who are poor, they ask people who are middle class, they ask people who are rich, they ask millionaires, but they always said more. Even the millionaires said, oh, I'll be happy if I have more, if I have two million. And if someone has five million, you ask them how much money would make you happy, and they'll say, oh, well, I need 10 million, right? And then maybe if someone has 10 million, they want 100 million or a billion. It's never, in other words, it's always more, more, more. The answer is more. You can see where this is actually never ending. If you have this mindset that more money makes you happy, you will always have this belief. So when you get more money, you still won't be happy. Why? Because you'll think, oh no, I need even more now. And then I need even more. And then I need even more. And we see this again and again and again with people that it's never enough. Right? They say, if more is better, then what I have is not enough. Even when I do get more, I'm, you know, I believed that I, to make my life better, I needed to get even more. Right? So it just becomes a limitless, we, you know, the Buddhists call this hungry ghost. Limitless. 
And then next, they kind of talk about society, how now people have become consumers. You know, in the past, in America, for example, back, let's say, before the 1900s, people were just, they described themselves as citizens. I'm a citizen. I'm an American citizen. I'm a citizen of the world. I'm a citizen. But now people will, are often described in the media as consumers. I'm a consumer. Think about that. I'm a consume. It just means you are consuming, buying, using, and how people think of themselves as consumers. They think money will give them everything, right? They, the book says, we project onto money, we give money, the ability to fulfill our fantasies, allay our fears, soothe our pain, send us soaring to the heights. So again, like now we've got this idea that money can make take away our fears, uh, take away our pains, give us all these great high feelings, wonderful feelings. Now we have all these fantasies about what money can do, and but they are fantasy. It's not true. And then, you know, they give a kind of a, a religious point that this consumerism, this materialism, consumerism, promotes all of the deadly sins. So there are these traditional deadly sins. Again, I think Catholic, I believe. But anyway, an idea you'll find in most religions. These deadly sins, what are they? They are lust, covetedness, gluttony, pride, envy, anger, and sloth. And most of those are basically desires, uncontrolled desires. And consumerism, our modern brave new world, our modern world now, actually promotes these deadly sins. They they encourage us to have lust. Uh, sex, 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 sex. Hot women, ah. They and they encourage women to be act like sluts. They encourage gluttony, eat, food, 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 ah, buy, 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 buy. They encourage pride and envy to be jealous of other people who have more. Right? It's true. Our whole society is like this. Okay. So that kind of describes all the bad stuff. Next, they're going to say, well, how do we get out of this? So now, talking very generally, we'll get to specific strategies later in the book. This, this is kind of the, the, the big view. So they talk about something called the fulfillment curve. That, that, okay, most people think that, you know, more and more and more and more and more and more and more, more to be happy. It never ends, but it's not true. But it, what actually is true is that there is a fulfillment curve. And they, people, psychologists have studied this. And that, in the beginning of our lives, more possessions, right, more things, more money, does indeed give you more fulfillment, gives you a more satisfied feeling, right? If you're super, super, super poor, you're struggling, yes, of course, more money will make you feel better. You'll have less stress in your life, which, of course, makes you feel better. You're more fulfilled, more happier, right? Less, at least less unhappy. So, of course, that's true. But here, what happens? Well, we get you get all your basic needs. You have enough food. You have enough clothes. You have shelter. You can kind of live a basic life how you want. Do most of the things you want to do. So your happiness kind of goes up, up, up. But then the curve, it hits a point. There's a point. And after that point, more money and more things actually make you less happy. Right? So, like, for example, people buy a house, then they buy a bigger house, and they get a bigger loan, and then they buy another house, and then get a bigger loan. Now, the money is adding stress. The big house is not really making them happier. It's actually making them less happy because they're more stressed because they have that big loan. And sometimes, too, just taking care of a big house. It's a lot of work, cleaning it and taking care of it. And because of that, they have to work more, so they're away from their family more, and then the stress begins. So they're saying there's kind of a magic point. And if you're watching on video, you can see the curve here. And it's the peak. It's the top. It's, the, it's enough. They call it the enough point. Enough point. There is a point where you have enough money, you have enough things, enough. You have the good, the good amount of income, lifestyle, spending, whatever you want to say. And that's enough. You don't need more. If you try to do more, you're actually going to become less happy. So, 
Yes, if you're poor in the beginning of your life, maybe you want to make more money, more money, more money. But then there's a point that's enough. You have everything you really need. That's when you stop. You don't need to keep going more, more, more. And everybody needs, they said, you know, one thing you will do in this book, you need to identify your own enough point. What is it? It's different for everybody. Right? Like my point of enough is different than yours. You need enough for survival. You need enough comforts. So they're not talking about living in a car like I did. Okay? You you, you decide how much comfort do you want in your life. Even enough little luxuries. So little luxuries even. Some of us may want to enjoy that. Little small luxuries. What's my little luxury? My little luxury is probably business class travel. When I do a long flight, I will often usually fly business class because... I travel a lot and I have traveled a lot in my life and it's a nice little luxury. Can I, do I need it? No, I don't need it. Can I survive without it? Yes, I could. But I have enough money, so I do it. But, yeah, so that's my little luxury. But I don't buy expensive cars. I don't buy jewelry. I don't buy, I live in a tiny little apartment. You know, so you, you decide. Maybe you don't care about, you don't fly. You know, that doesn't, you don't care. So you can choose little, luck, small little luxuries even. But you, whatever it is, you decide what's the enough point. And so you don't have to keep going forever. And they say enough is a fearless place, a trusting place. We have everything we need. There's nothing extra to weigh us down or distract us or stress us. That's the enough point. It's the magic point that we'll be looking for. Okay, and they mentioned, you know, clutter. This is something we all have to deal with. How, you know, if you get too much stuff, it's good to just sometimes get rid of it. So you don't have too much junk around. All right. And then finally, at the end of this chapter, we have a few, they have a a few activities they want you to do. I encourage you to do these activities. Number one, activity one is find out how much money you have earned in your lifetime already. The total amount of money you have made. So, in other words, you have to write down every job you had in your whole life and figure out how much money, total money you made. So, you'll have a total amount. Like, so I'm 50 years old. If I did this, I would go and I would have to look at how much money have I made in my whole life, 50, starting my very first job until today. All right. So, you're going to figure out your total income, your total life income so far. And then number... uh, Number one, part B, find your net worth by creating a personal balance sheet of assets and liabilities. Well, this is what Robert Kiyosaki wanted us to do too. Although we have to talk about something really quickly about that. Okay, so why do number one? Because it shows you that, it'll probably show you that you've made a decent amount of money in your life already and you don't have much. You've wasted a lot of it, in other words. That's what most people find when they do that exercise. When I did it, when I actually read this book years and years ago, uh, you know, that's how I felt. I'm like, ah, where did all that money go? (laughs) I have nothing. Okay, now the personal balance sheet. Let's talk about this because I disagree with a couple things. I I agree more with Robert Kiyosaki. So I I want you to, if you do this balance sheet, I think you should do it the Robert Kiyosaki way. So they say, number one, you need to add up your assets. Now you remember, Robert Kiyosaki had a very specific definition of asset. An asset is money or something that creates money. Like a business is an asset if it's profitable. It's making money. It's not just any possession. This book, when they say asset, they really mean like any possession. Okay, possession. but. Possessions are not assets. Some are and some aren't. So number one, liquid assets. Okay, now this is just money basically. These are real assets. Cash, savings account, checking account, stocks, bonds, investments, anything like that that you can, that is money or will give you money very quickly. So you want to add that for your balance sheet. This is on the positive side, the asset side. Fixed assets. This is where I disagree. They're telling you to Include your car, your house as an asset. We know from Robert Kiyosaki, these are not assets, they're liabilities because they cost you money. 
So I would not count those as assets. They also sometimes, maybe they say clothes and other junk that you have in your house. Again, they're not assets. They're not creating money. If you sell them, then count, then you could count the cash as assets. But otherwise, I would not count just all these little possessions you have as assets. And then liabilities. These are your debts, the things that cost you money. And then what you do, so you have on the positive side, your assets. On the negative side, your liabilities. You know, you subtract the liabilities from the assets and that's your net worth. We call it net worth. Net worth. It's how much, you know, what's what's left over. And is it it can be negative. If it's negative, it means you're in debt. It means you owe more money than you your assets are creating or ha- you owe more than you have or are making. And that's the end of chapter one. So all good points. So essentially this chapter, as I said, what the main point of this chapter is to get really give us a picture. Uh, I think, you know, what they're trying to do is to make people think because a lot of people don't think about this stuff. They don't think really. People are like, you know, again, they're, they're blue-pilled. They're in the matrix. They're taught in school, they're taught by parents, they're taught by everyone around them to just do all of this stuff. They don't think about it, right? So people are just taught, get a job, get a high paying job, higher paying job is always better. And then you buy a house or a nice car or an, a condo and, you know, they have pe- people are programmed with this stuff and you buy a lot of stuff and getting more money is always better. If you, you know, more money means you'll be happier. You know, these are all false beliefs and they're kind of brave new world beliefs they're matrix beliefs they're blue pilled so this is their way in a kind of a gentle way to blue pill i mean to red pill the readers us about money and the main idea that you don't need endless money that there is a this word enough that's this was my favorite part of the chapter is just that one word i could summarize the chapter in one word enough that's the most important idea of this chapter enough there is an amount of money that is enough there is an amount of things possessions that is enough what is it so this is the key thing is that you have to decide this for yourself but you need to decide most people never do this is what makes them so unhappy in life connected to money why they're slaves to money because they never decide what is enough if they make thirty thousand dollars a year then they want more oh well obviously 35 would be better if they make thirty-five thousand a year, they think, well, obviously forty would be better. If they make forty thousand a year, they think obviously fifty would be better. And it's never ending. Never ending. And so they're slaves to money. There's never enough. It's never enough. It doesn't matter. They buy they buy a big house, but they always think, well, a bigger house would be even better. More, 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 more. Our blue pill society, our brave new world society. Most people are just chasing more, 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 more. And so the, the important idea of this chapter is enough. Enough is the medicine. Enough is the antidote to more, to greed. Because more, more, more is just greed. Greed, greed, greed. More, 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 more. So you just decide what is enough for you. An exact amount. We're going to, in the next chapter or the next few chapters, they actually have some exercises we will do, you will do, to, to, to choose an exact amount of money. This is, this is important, which we'll see later in the book, that this amount of enough, it's not just a general idea. It's very specific. I need $5,000 a month. That's enough. Then I, that's all I need. $5,000. do not need more. Right? Maybe it is five thousand a month for you. Maybe for you it's seven thousand a month. Maybe for you it's one thousand a month. But the key point is that you really get specific and you decide. So then you know. So then you know when you reach that level, you don't have to keep going more and more and more. You did it. You achieved financial freedom. 
All right, let's go into comments and questions. Ooh. Sorry, guys. Let's see if I can my mouse. There we go. All right, here we go. Alexi, yes, again, this is a point about the definition of what is an asset. You'll remember this from Robert Kiyosaki. A car can also make money if it's up to how you use it. What kind of car? If you're the owner of 10 trucks, they bring you money, it's an asset. It will exactly. That's exactly correct. That's exactly right. Exactly. If it's your personal car, you're just driving around, it's a liability. It's just sucking out money. If it's a car and you are an Uber driver and it's making more money than it costs you to pay every month, now it's an asset. It's generating cash. So it's how much cash does that thing create every month. That's what decides. Remember this. We learned this with Robert Kiyosaki. How much cash does it create? So exactly. A house can be an asset if you rent it to other people and they pay you money and you're making money every month from the house. Well, that's called real estate. It's an asset. If you're living in the house and you pay the bank every month, it's a liability. So that's the key point. So that's how you should, that's how I recommend when you, if you do a balance sheet for yourself, that's how you decide. Is this an asset? Is this a liability? I mean, even my, like my shirt, if I had, I don't know, if I had some kind of business, I rented my shirt and people paid for it or I was, maybe I would be an asset. But you, you, you get the idea. Assets create cash every month. Liabilities take away money or make no money. Yeah, like Alman Ali says, I think we need money for food, clothes, hospital. Why do we need to be addicted to a bunch of money? You don't need a lot of money. You need just the financial, financially free life. Exactly. That's exactly the point they're making. Exactly right. Yeah, well, Marion, with a good point, people now have no contentment of what for what they have now, for what they already have. That's why they're slaves to their jobs. They continue to chase the things they don't need. Yes. Contentment's a nice word, and it has... Contentment gives you... is that feeling that you have enough. I'm content with what I have now. I have enough. It's good enough. Yeah, like Fatma says, this chapter talks about the factors that lead to being trapped in the rat race. Good way to say it. The rat race. The rat race is when you're a financial slave, when you're just working, 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 and you know, what they described with those people in the beginning of the chapter. We call that the rat race. Okay, Manuel says, I've got a question. Is it normal nowadays? Some folks are gradually more superficial. Well, it's people. It's what the, the book was describing, that we have a consumer society. You know, the media, the entire culture around the world is constantly pushing people to buy things that your what you buy is makes you a good person or a cool person. You know, the whole, some people call it the culture of cool, right? that how you dress the things you buy what you own that that shows what kind of person you are uh, there's a cousin of mine he he gets expensive items it's the center of his life he, and he depends on it always yeah exactly it's, it's a consumer lifestyle it is it's very common sad yeah and it start, starts Pablo is right it starts very early Kids start wanting more, more, more toys, even when they have a lot. And the new toys give them little satisfaction. That's right, because then they always want the next one. And clutter. 
good education about money starts here. Exactly. I can I can relate this to uh, like my own childhood. And even looking back, if I can look back at old movies, talking about Christmas time, Christmas time is a good, you can measure it in Christmas, at Christmas. You can see the change in American culture because you can see that, you know, if you go back to some of these old movies that maybe the children in the movies are shown, they're getting a couple and you know, a few presents, a few, a few gifts at Christmas time. And they're very happy, excited in the movies. And then, uh, you know, I think of my own childhood, it was more. It was definitely much more consumer. I got a decent amount, a good number. It was, it was a lot, probably too much. And then I look now at the children in my family and in, in America, and it's uh, obscene, the amount of stuff they get. It's just this huge amount of stuff. They just open the gifts. Hey, great. They throw it to the side, and then they just run to the next box. Oh, oh great. Oh. And they're just, it's just, and it's just like, they just want more, 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 more. And they're just like, like, ah, you know? And you've got all this advertising on TV for toys aimed at children. Uh, most of the movies and Disney, you know, Disney movies and stuff, it's just marketing for their toys, among other things. So yeah, it starts very young. You'll see kids now, more and more kids are getting little iPhones and apps and uh, expensive clothes. And yes, of course the parents are ultimately the ones doing it. Well, it's a hard question here from Rusan. What to do if your family is in Brave New World? They only think that money is the only way to be happy. You know, my, my overall advice on this kind of question is, is to be a good example. It's the best thing to do because it's the one thing you can control. You can't control them. You can try to persuade them, but just like Morpheus said, you know, you can't wake up everybody and some people don't want to wake up. So, what you can do is wake yourself up and then live a happy life, become financially free and be a great example. And maybe some in your family will see how, you know, you have done these things and maybe they'll follow you and some won't. Money talks, yes. Yeah, like Fernanda says, that book helps us realize that we have enough to live a great life. We do. It's less than you think. Most people, when they imagine, I think, financial freedom and how much is enough, they, they imagine much more than they actually need. Uh, and you might be surprised as we go through the book that it's not as much as you thought. Bakir says, is there a way to feel good and happy when you're working a boring job? Well, not easy. <laughs> I, I, I mean, honestly, I guess I never did it. I could never do it. If I had a bad job, you know, like they said in this book in the beginning, that if, you know, work can be you know, when you're most people working full time, it's 40 hours a week, right? That's a huge amount of time. So if that's if that time is boring, if that time is unhappy, then it's very difficult then to feel happy in your life because so much of your time is filled with boredom or stress or whatever. So I found, yeah, this this is what motivated me strongly when I was young because I was so unhappy in my jobs and so bored and it made me generally unhappy and I could not find a way to do that. I, so my, 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 my solution was to become financially free. Before I became free, I just tried to reduce the amount I worked you know, by working only part-time. And that, that did help a lot. Make a, oh, make a video about life in the U.S. compared to Japan. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll try to do that. Could you tell in one episode about the time in your 30s and 40s when you started Effortless English? Yeah, that might be a good, this month might be a good time for that. Oh, I don't have paper. Anyway, I'll try and remember that one. That's a good one too. That's a really good one. 
just the story of how I finally did it myself. Danya says, sadly, everyone wants money because without money, nobody can talk to you. Uh, what, I'm, I don't know what you mean by that. Of course, people can talk to you without money. <laughs> um, everyone wants money because uh, indeed our societies, it's the tool we use, you know, of exchange, you know, to, to get these basic things we need, food, shelter, clothing, although there are other ways to do it. Um, you can grow your own food, for example, but in general, it's most convenient to use money. So yes, a certain amount is necessary for that, but I'm not sure what you mean by pe nobody will talk to you. Yeah, well, Alexa, this is a good point. By using our ideas, we can turn our liabilities into assets. Yes, when you understand the, that's why I love that Kiyosaki book, Robert Kiyosaki book, because when you do understand that, right, you can sometimes f figure out ways to turn, to change a liability into an asset. For example, your own home. Like if you, maybe you did buy a house and it's too big, you don't really need all the space. It's costing you money. Well, you could do, maybe you, part of it, you could, change it to an apartment or like uh, or like a vacation rental or something and make money from it. And then your house then be, would get turned into, or at least part of your house would get turned into an asset. Yes, that's right. If you have a car, you could become a, you could drive around and do Uber. Just as simple examples. Oh, Manuel, um, last question. Since you're experienced, do you recommend a youth to start their own business? Because my little brother asks me constantly. He has no experience. Any tips? Yes, do it. How do you get experience? By doing it. <laughs> okay. That's the only way to get experience. So, it does. if he waits 10 years, he'll still have no experience. So, just do it. Do it now. Get the experience early. He might fail. So what? Doesn't matter. Do it. Jump in and do it. That's my advice. I don't know what specific business he's doing. Just do it. Do it. And he's going to learn so much. He's going to get so much great experience by actually starting and running his own business at a young age is great. It's the best training he could do for himself at a young age. It's wonderful. So I, I strongly encourage him. AJ, are you fasting? I'm fasting. Yes, I'm doing a dry fast today. Yeah, like this is, Lisa's talking about like this enough point. I think not only do we need to learn how to make enough money, true, but also when to quit because many people can't stop. Satisfaction would be very important. And that's what they're talking about in this book, when to stop. They're not saying make no money. Of course, we, they're recognizing that you need money, most people, or at least most people want it. But that there, you have to decide when to stop. When is enough? When is enough? And that's true for most things. Just same with food, right? We all need, we need some food to eat, but when is enough? If you don't stop yourself, you become fat and unhealthy. There's a, there, you can have enough food. This is enough. There's a certain amount that's enough or you won't gain weight, right? And anything more than that makes you less healthy. And money is kind of similar. Yeah, Dalal says, by teaching kids from a young age to save money, teach them that money is necessary but not everything, they will start to build uh, discipline about money. All, those are good ideas. Yes, you've got to teach kids to respect it, to be financially self-disciplined. Don't be spoiled. This is one reason spoiling your kids is a terrible thing to do. Yeah, well, here's an example of the worst kind of situation, Me Too says, I had an uncle, he had debt, and he committed suicide for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
marriages. People get divorced because of money problems. Uh, people, you know, like this, sadly kill themselves, or and others just become very depressed. So it's a serious topic. You know, becoming a mastering money is very important in our society now. Cool. Abdul Raham says, I'm a 16-year-old trainer, and I'm completely influenced by you. Well, fantastic. Good for you. Doing your own business at 16. See? See? Good example right there. We go to the hospital. First, we have to pay. I guess it depends on the country, actually. Uh, but what is more important, your money or your life? Um, your life is more important. <laughs> I, obviously. <laughs> if you have no life, you also have no money. <laughs> America's quoting the ABBA song here. Money does not bring happiness. You can't buy many things just for money. Yep. Money, money, money in a rich man's world. Yep, I, mean, I know that song. Okay, a few more, then I have to take care of babies tonight. We have a sick baby. Poor baby. <laughs> Lexi said, I heard until age 21, you can change people's opinion after that about something. But after that, it's pointless. Well, I don't agree to that. I mean, I change my opinion about stuff all the time. and I'm 51. But uh, you know, as a general trend, people do tend to harden uh, and become less flexible mentally as they get older. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's because they don't they stop getting new experiences. They stop pushing themselves to get new experiences. Yeah, we got it. Okay, let's see. Okay. Latkree asks, let's see, uh, between money and life, what things will make people happier in recent times? I mean, life is referred to meaningful or valuable life. Yes, right. Well, it's, you know, what, what, what's going to bring you happiness are things like meaning, purpose, faith, family, you know, great relationships, family, children, friendships, community, all of these things. Uh, you, you can have very little money. If you have those things, you're probably going to be happy. <clears throat> uh, let's see, Abdallah. So a couple more and we're done. I'm going to finish in just a couple minutes. Hi, Jay. Job is boring. You gain less money for it. But the successful way to earn money and be rich is uh, oh, to do business. Yeah, well, it's if you're good at it. <laughs> uh yeah, overall, obviously, you can. There's more potential. Let's say that there's more potential to make money with your own business to to make a lot of money. But some people, it's stressful. Some people are not entrepreneurs and they really don't do well, and they f actually prefer to work a job. Um, probably most people. Yeah, well, Salavika says, many people who have a lot of money are insensitive or rude. It's no good. They're not good to anyone near them. It's almost like an illness, the constant hunger for money. 
Yeah, it's an illness. It's a mental illness. It's, you know, it's greed. It's that, you know, covetousness. Ah. Um, you know, it's what the Buddhists call the, the hungry ghost. And it does. It doesn't, it doesn't make you happy at all. Let's see, Mar says, I think the point is not worrying about money. That, that's a big point, yes. If you know you have my if you know how much money you have, everything's gonna be amazing. If you know what's if you know your enough point. Just we should think about that. Yeah. I have to say that enough money is everything. Right. It's it's that point where you stop worrying. This is the bit the big benefit of being financially free is you know, it's just not worrying not being stressed out by money, not even being motivated by money very much, where you can start to do things, make decisions in your life, uh, even do work, not just for money, but because it's important to you, because it's meaningful to you, because you will enjoy it, because it's interesting, right? Not working just for the money. Yeah, and we'll end with this one here. Aya says, to quote from your money or your life, we shift from comparing ourselves to others to considering our real needs and desires. We shift from more to enough and we get more of what money can't buy, which is priceless. It's a good point. Comparing to others, this is one of the uh, the. Th- the reason so many people chase more and more and more and more and more because they're looking at everybody else. Everybody else is trying to get the newest iPhone and the bigger house and the nicest car and da, 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 on, on, on. And more and more and more and more, just bigger paychecks. And you don't need to compare yourself to someone else. It doesn't matter if someone else makes more money. Who cares? It doesn't matter. If they have a bigger house, so what? If they're got a lot more money than you, who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect you. So instead, you focus on yourself. What are your actual real needs? What do you actually need? What is enough for you? For you, it will be different for each person. My enough is different than yours. Yours is different than another person's. So you just, you don't need to compare yourself to me. You don't need to compare yourself to Tony Robbins. You don't need to compare yourself to, you know, Donald Trump, you don't need to compare yourself to a homeless person, okay? It doesn't matter. Some of those people make less than you, some make more. It doesn't matter. You just decide for yourself, your life, what you want, and what's enough for you. What do you actually need? And you just do that, and everybody else, who cares? They decide for themselves. Alrighty, guys. We'll start the movie club next week. So just a quick update again about that, and then time to go. So our new movie is Jerry Maguire. We'll start it next weekend. It's a wonderful movie. Such a sweet movie. I love it. I really, I watched it again last night, and it's uh, number one as just a movie. Very nice, positive messages. Very, very, very nice movie. You know, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. I just think it's wonderful. Number two... Number two is that Jerry Maguire has a lot more talking. <laughs> okay, a lot. It's, it's, it's a romantic comedy drama. So it is constant talking, which is good for us because it means a huge amount of English. Huge. Just the introduction. I might need two weeks to do the introduction. I'm not sure because there, there's just so much uh, connected to culture, idioms, vocab, just in the intro, (laughs) just when the movie's just starting. So I think it's going to take us much longer to do Jerry Maguire than The Matrix. The Matrix, compared to The Matrix, Jerry Maguire is more, much more difficult. The English will be more difficult. There's a lot more talking. Uh, But all of that makes this a very good movie for learning English. I probably will... skip a few of the conversations. I'm not going to do, I'll do about 80% of the movie, not 100%. There are probably a few that I feel just are not so important that I might skip, but 
Anyway, it's going to be fun. It'll be live on Twitch as usual. Until then, I'll be back again tomorrow. Lots of love to you. Have a great day. See you next week for Chapter 2. See you tomorrow for the next Effortless English show. As always, join my VIP program. Commit to my VIP program. Go now to EffortlessEnglishClub.com. EffortlessEnglishClub.com.